Let's see what Jesus Christ has to say about prayer, okay? So last week we've looked at, um, we talked about having a 3D prayer. If you guys remember that we have a duty to pray, okay? Um, scripture acknowledges the difficulty of prayer. And also yet there should be a delight in prayer, okay? So this is now uh, looking at the topic of what Jesus has to teach about prayer. Uh, I think uh, the topic of prayer could get really deep or even some paradoxes. What I mean by paradoxes is also things that seem like, huh, um, how, how could this be? Um, but at the same time, you're like, oh, well, you have to hold to um, two truths that seems to be opposing. But actually, you need one to even explain the other uh, also as well. Okay, uh, I do want to eventually even move to the topic of even God's sovereignty and prayer. Okay, um, and things like of that nature. But to make it more practical, we begin first with uh, to, after looking, laying the foundation of last week. We want to look uh, today at what Jesus has to say about prayer. Okay, what uh, Jesus has to say about prayer, and really the outline for tonight is we're going to see. Um, uh, so we're going to be looking today at verses 1 to 2, and then uh, uh, next week we're going to look at verses 2 again to verses 4, okay, for our part 2. But we're going to look at this because this is Jesus, His teaching on prayer, okay? Uh, sometimes you might have heard people say the Lord's Prayer. They would, people call this part the Lord's Prayer. Why, why I like this part is actually, I think a better name is actually the Disciples' Prayer. What I mean by that is this is actually Jesus teaching His disciples how to pray, Okay. Je this is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. Um, really, we have tonight, if you were following along with the outline, uh, three points, okay? Uh, three points. The three points that we have for tonight is number one, you should pray. I know this is kind of like last week, right? The duty of prayer, but we're going to see from Jesus himself, he taught us that you should pray, okay? Um, this is point number one is you should pray. This is taught in verses one to verses two, the first half, okay? Uh, the first half of verse two, okay? Uh, that's point number one. You should pray. Second point is also... Pray with others. Yeah, you should pray with others, okay? You should pray with others. Thank you, Josh, for reading that outline. Okay, that's a, a second point of the outline, okay? Is you should pray with others. There is a public or corporate dimension of prayer also as well, okay? Thirdly, you should pray intimately, okay? Thirdly, you should pray intimately. These two last points is all from verses 2 or excerpts from verses 2, Okay? Um, so these are the three parts of it. Um, and even as we go through this, I, I know that, um, I hope this is practical too. We should lead us to ask the questions, how do we pray? Um, I think I mentioned a few weeks ago, and for the last few weeks, I'm saying one of the things that amazes me is how, in terms of Google and people's search engine, the amount of search people have about prayer has gone tremendously up, okay? And that's incredible. Even as secular as our country is, even as people call America secular, I think when you look at America, whenever bad things happen still, just like other parts of the world, um, people right away talk about what? Prayer, okay? Uh, so any of you guys still remember 9-11, when September 11th happened? Some of you guys, if you guys were here in the United States, as liberal, as progressive as everything is, if you remember watching TV at that time, right, when one plane run in, it was just news, but when a second plane ran and uh, into the towers, if you remember that, or if you go on YouTube, look at the replay of those old news footage. Um, after the second plane run in, like people are saying, even news reporters say, whoa, oh my God. Or they're saying, we got to pray, right? I bring this to say that the topic of prayer is one of those things that um, we are actually, I think, designed to pray, okay? Uh, and you know the saying goes about there's no atheists uh, in foxholes, right? I don't know if you guys ever hear that. 
um, is to say, to capture the idea that when we're in trouble, you know, we, I, Romans 1 says people suppress the truth of God. People do know God. People live like there's no God sometimes, um, certain individuals. But then sometimes when emergency happen, people all of a sudden realize, oh, they need to search for a higher power. I remember even when myself, when I was going to go to Iraq, um, we were in Kuwait. Um, you know, Jin's stories, you know, is a lot more dramatic. But for us, uh, I remember, you know, you can't sleep <laughs> the night before. Um, and I barely was falling asleep at 12 to 1. And then I felt someone kicking my boots. And, and I thought, oh, it's time for my guard duty in the middle of the night. And the guy was actually our platoon atheist. Among all the radio operators, the guy that didn't believe in God, waking me up in the middle of the night and says, no, no, no. Um, I just don't want others to see it, but could you pray, you know, before we go to Iraq? And I was like, huh. And I remember that saying, hey, there's no such thing as atheists in Foxhole. And I say, uh, yeah, I could pray. But he's like, hey, just, just, you don't have to tell others. I was like, oh, um, irony here, right? We're talking about this many years later, okay? But all that is to say that um, when we think about prayer, we want to see what Jesus Christ has to say about prayer, okay? So in looking at this, look at right here, um, in beginning with our first point, you should pray. Notice, I just want to read again verses 1 to the first part of verse 2. It says, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, okay? We'll stop here real quick. Notice in verses 1, it begins not so much with a command, but making an observation. The narrator, Luke, is making an observation about Jesus. That Jesus was what? A man that often what? Prays, okay? He was a man of prayer, okay? He was a man of prayer. This is where um, knowing the Trinity is very, very important. Knowing the Trinity is very, very important, okay? Um, Jesus did not pray to himself. Uh, let me say this real quick. That would not make sense, right? Uh, when he says things like, um, Father, into your hand I commit my spirits. Like, did he give himself up to himself? Um, this is where there is one God, okay? Uh, we're in Luke chapter 11, okay? Uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Um, there is one God, but there's three persons, okay? Three persons. So the Father and the Son, okay? The Son is communicating to the Father, okay? The Son is communicating to uh, to the Father. And when He does this, Jesus Christ, remember, He adopts a human nature just like you and I, okay? Having human nature. And therefore, He prays, okay? He prays, um uh, to God the Father, okay? And I think this is beautiful because it says here, um, you see many times in Scripture, every time, often when He's busy, Jesus would also be what? Busy in prayer, okay? Uh, I think it was Martin Luther um, that had a famous quote, right? He says that He usually uh, prays an hour a day except the days when He's busy. And then the days He's busy, He prayed two hours a day, <laughs> okay? Um, so I think uh, is we see Jesus lives that out, okay? A man, that is constantly in prayer. So while Jesus was praying, notice then, you know, that his disciples was very aware of Jesus' prayer. In fact, they probably have seen with Jesus' miracles oftentimes, Jesus would be a man of prayer. They would have been around in an atmosphere that was constantly of Jesus Christ praying. Okay, now look with me in verses 2. Verses 2, okay, um, says, uh, and he... Uh, Oh, correction, verses 1, it goes on. And after he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, okay, we'll stop there real quick. So notice here that Jesus' prayer led the disciples to ask a question, okay? To ask a question, okay? Um, to ask a question directed towards who? Jesus. And this is what they ask him. Lord, teach us to pray, okay? We'll stop here real quick. So here you see that the disciples want to actually what? Pray the same way as Jesus does, okay? 
I think this is important to see that disciples want to learn how to pray. I know we know, but we are in our theology, it would be correct to say that prayer is talking to God. Right? This is often the answer we say to someone when they don't know how to pray. We say, hey, prayer is talking to God. That's true. But nevertheless, I think you see what's fascinating is that there is a place for learning how to pray. Okay, there is a place that we need to revisit regularly of how to pray. Why is that important? Because when Jesus' disciples ask, hey, how do we pray? Jesus' disciples didn't just say, oh, it's just talking. That's okay. You all got it already. No, what does Jesus does instead is that he, what? Taught how to pray. Okay, he taught his disciples how to pray. But not only is it only he's teaching his disciples how to pray. Notice that the disciples found it was so important enough to write it down. And later on, the apostle uh, Luke would then record this and write it out for us of how is it we pray. In fact, it wasn't just only one uh, uh, author of Scripture that wrote it. Matthew, who was one of Jesus' original uh, 12 disciples, also wrote his account in an earlier part of Jesus' ministry of teaching us how to pray. That's the part in Matthew uh, 6, um, you know, where uh, where Paul alluded to last week, okay? Um, But here, when you see here, it says, after he had finished, uh, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Um, the idea here is, you see here, there's a sense of amazement where they want to learn from Jesus' model. Okay, And by the way, notice it goes on in verses 1 and says what? Uh, verses 1, it says, just as John also taught his disciples to what? Uh, to pray. Okay, So here we know uh, John the Baptist's ministry is pointing people towards who? Uh, Jesus Christ, right? He's a prophet that's not pointing to himself, glorifying himself. He's pointing people to say, hey, hey, guys, all your focus should be on Jesus Christ. But among the way, he's teaching many things, too. He's teaching people repentance. You see that, for instance, in, in Luke chapter 1 and 2, okay? He's teaching people uh, to repent. Uh, he's, uh, correction, Luke chapter 3, not Luke 1 and 2. Luke chapter 3, he's teaching people to repent, right? He's teaching people to prepare uh, for the kingdom of God that's coming with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the other things that we see here according to his verses, apparently John the Baptist also taught his followers how to pray. Okay, So Jesus' followers saying, hey, if you're greater than John the Baptist, and if John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray, how much more could you teach us something how to pray? And look, look with me then in verses 2, the first part. Jesus' response assumed, as you see what he has to say, is that he simply assumed, that we should already be a person of prayer. Okay, it says, and he said to them, "When you say, when you pray, say." We'll stop there real quick. Okay, notice he doesn't say if. Okay, in the Greek, it's the idea of when, uh, not the idea of conditional, like probably, maybe, or maybe not. Okay, um, that option isn't even open to us. Okay, it's the option is just basically of saying when. Okay. Of saying, if somewhere in your life, you might not be praying every single moment, but there'll be times and moments where you'll definitely be praying to God. So Jesus, right off the bat, with just this first part, already assumed that we should be what? We should be praying, okay? We should be praying. Um, when I was preparing uh, last week's lesson, I realized that the commands to pray is more, you probably find more of the verse that has commands where it says imperative, like, thou shalt pray kind of thing. Um, you see that probably more in the New Testament than in the Old Testament. Again, I'm not dogmatic, okay, but just from a brief survey, um, what I could find on Bible Gateway and looking at the what kind of verb it is, like an, an imperative verb, a command verb, you see that really in the Old, New Testament, uh, really the New Testament after Christ, there's a lot more command to pray. But nevertheless, I think you should not say that, oh, okay, because the Old Testament doesn't command believers to pray regularly, therefore it was okay. No one prayed until 
Jesus Christ told us to pray. And I think that's a wrong way of reading the scripture. I think Jesus is often um, in line with the Old Testament. And when times when, at least for my own life, when I see it doesn't seem like they're aligned, is I have to revisit and say, hey, how am I interpreting? Um, am I interpreting the Old Testament in the right flow? Okay. So in light of this, I think that shows importance that even way back in the Old Testament, um, you see all the conditions. Scripture talks about you know different things we do, right? Sacrifice all this. But I think that's already presupposing that we are already what praying to God. We're seeking Him. We're going to Him regularly. Okay. So as we see here, Jesus' assumption in just verse two is that we should definitely be praying. It's a question of when and not if. Okay. And by the way, in the Greek, this is what they call a third class conditional. Okay. I know in English when we say if, um, it's kind of vague, right? Um, if you think about it, there's a lot of if uh, kind of sentences I say, um, but they could be the probability is different. Okay, for instance, if I say to you a sentence like, "If um, a dog could fly," um, and then then you think of another uh, conditional clause. For instance, like, "If it is sunny today, or if it is rainy, or if a dog could fly." Among these three sentences that I mentioned, which one is less probable of happening? Which one is less probable? If the dog could fly, right? Okay. Now, in English, it's not clear. But in the Greek, they actually have five different conditional sentences. Five different kind of sentences to show um, more clear about what, which one is more likely. Which one is when. Which one is... It's not true anymore, but if we go back hypothetically. Okay, so what they call counterfactual statements. So there's all these kind of sentences, okay? There's five different condition, uh, Greek sentences to show, you know, like what, uh, example earlier. Some things are more probable or possible than others. And something, while it's conditional, it definitely is going to happen. So in the Greek, this is what is called a, a third-class conditional sentence. and saying that this is going to happen, okay? The probability is very, very high that you will be praying. And therefore, if you're praying, Jesus is going to teach how should you definitely be praying, okay? What is the framework, okay? Again, not so much word-for-word word formulaic system, of rights and rituals and regulation, but more of like, if you pray, what is the general principle that should shape how you pray and how you talk to God, okay? So, Jesus... Can you make an observation? Go ahead. Uh, I noticed in my Bible, it says uh, verse 2 to 4 is considered the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's often called the Lord's Prayer. The reason why I like the name Disciples' Prayer is because this is Jesus teaching His disciples to pray. And by the way, the Lord's Prayer is what? All of the Bible where it teaches prayer. You could say it's almost the Lord teaching prayer. But certainly that's the classic term. Uh, I always like calling it the disciples' prayer because he's teaching the disciples, hey, you pray like this, okay? So I think that's the emphasis. Yeah, it's often called the Lord's Prayer, right? Okay. Um, so going back on uh, with this, uh, as you know, just it is a question of when to pray, you know? Um, when, I, when I was a young kid going to TCAC when I was 18 going to church for the first time uh, I'll be honest uh, I was only focused on the English side maybe it's a cultural thing right we kind of flock to those that are similar to us similar language um, and as you guys know that you know within less than a year after being at our church I joined the Marines and then you know less than a year or so later um, you know I, we were already heading to Iraq and when after I came back from Iraq I actually was really moved because I was uh, I felt like I was a horse you know like you know how a horse they have those um um, we call those things the blinds so that they focus on their path, right? I was kind of like that. Whenever I go to church, I'll only focus on just going upstairs where the English congregation was until these grandmothers stopped me and then also these moms like Anthony Chan's mom, right? Stopped me and say, hey, I was praying for you every single day. 
when you were in Iraq, it's like, whoa, wow, really? I don't even think I prayed for myself every single day. Or I don't think I even prayed every single day when I was in the Marines in Iraq. That's to say that what? These are people of prayer, okay? Um, we should we definitely be seeing that. Also, the example of others should make us want to pray. But definitely, Jesus' way of life is the exemplar, is a perfect example of regularly praying to God. Okay, so as application, I think it's good to ask the question, when's the last time you prayed, okay? Um, yeah, I know we, in opening uh, for our Bible study, we prayed, yes. But don't just say, oh, I just prayed... Uh, 20 minutes ago or 30 minutes ago. But when was the last time you pray on your own, okay? When was the last time on your own? And some of us uh, have a habit of praying whenever we eat, which is very good. I don't want to knock on that. But I also want to go beyond that and say, when do you pray besides eating your food, okay? Between meals, okay? Or, or when we're with church folks or other believers, okay? When was the last time just on your own you just decide to to pray to God because as we see in this verse their assumption is when you will pray not if you will pray okay second application question when was the last time someone's prayer life amazes you and you ask yourself or them hey I want to have that I would like to be like that okay this is one of the things I do want to encourage you guys to do prayer meeting is that we see well I'll establish later on that there's a public uh, corporate aspect of prayer um where we pray with others. But I think sometimes it's good. One of the good side benefit of praying with others. Is sometimes other people's prayer. Does move me to pray more. Um, I really do appreciate. For instance. Um, this is not to lift up anyone else higher. Or you know, or downplay anyone else's prayer. Um, but I really appreciate. Um, even a prayer meeting. Um, this is my own personal bias. Okay, You guys could have your own. right? Who, who you appreciate praying for you. But I really appreciate when Jin. And when Eric prays. Uh, you know, for for my prayer request, whether when I meet one on one or with that, okay. So let that be also as well an example for all of us, okay, to seek other brothers, um, sisters, okay, um, to see their example, and just like as their d- disciples of Jesus saw the example of Jesus and was moved to pray, okay. So that's point number one. Point number one. Let me say again, so you should pray. Again, there's also other verses that I established last week, right? About the duty of prayer. And all of those teaching come from the apostles that followed after Jesus. And they're based upon the idea from Jesus Christ himself, okay? So let's go to point number two. Uh, point number two, you should pray with others, okay? You should pray with others. If you're looking with me in the middle of verse two, he says, And he said to them, When you pray, say. We'll stop there real quick, okay? Uh, I know in English, like again, um, remember how I mentioned about English, the word if? could be kind of uh, vague or a little more vague than in Greek. Remember the different prob- probability or factual statement, whether it's true or not. In Greek also, I think one of the things I appreciate of Greek is also um, it's more precise of sometimes who you address when you're using pronouns, right? Who you address when you're using pronouns, okay? Um, usually when I argue with someone, more of a apologetics thing, I always pay attention to my pronouns because people could easily misinterpret, right? When you say he... Or, or she, okay? Um, you want to be clear about you're saying Jesus Christ or, or God, that kind of thing, okay? Um, but at the same time, here in the Greek, in our English, we, well, the word you could not be as clear, right? Like, for instance, right now, if I say, hey, you, a lot of people would turn their head around. But in the Greek, uh, one of the beauty of the Greek language is actually you can see there's a singular you and plural you, okay? Kind of like I think maybe in Chinese is what ni and ni men, right? Uh, men is making it what? Plural. So in the same thing in the Greek, 
the ending for the uh, for the now uh, pronouns you it makes it either singular or it's plural. And when you look at verses two, uh, I love how it's when you look at the word you. I know when we're reading New American Standard Bible, NASB, it says just you. Our English is just singular or, or just you can't tell. But in the Greek, it's actually it's plural. Okay, so if I have a New American Southern Bible, right? If I speak and preach with a southern draw, it'll be what? Uh, when you all pray, okay? Say this, okay? So I think this is important um, because when you look, the Bible is, uh, is important that we individually pray. It is true when you turn to Matthew 6, Jesus does say, hey, you know, you shouldn't be praying showing off, okay? Um, there's a, uh, so there's two parts of our prayer life, okay? The two piece, two uh, dimension, okay? There's, say this after me, there's private prayer, Prayer, okay, and there's public prayer, okay. Yeah, so when you look at Matthew 6, when Jesus says, Hey, you guys who pray publicly, you guys already get your award. What Jesus Christ is trying to say is this those people that pray to show off, that's not a good thing, okay. But that doesn't mean there's never ever a place to publicly pray, okay, where others could see, okay. That doesn't mean there's no such thing as praying with others, okay. Uh, but rather, what, there's not a Bible contradiction. What Jesus is trying to emphasize in Matthew 6 is to say, don't pray like a hypocrite. Don't just pray only when people are looking at you to make yourself look super spiritual, godly, or like super Christian or that kind of thing, okay? Um, to show off with the wrong motive. But at the same time, there is public prayer because in verses 2, it says, when you pray, say, okay? Also, look with me. If you look at the rest of verses 3 to 4, we're going to kind of... Um, glance through that, you'll see that there's also plural, other nouns that are plural, okay? Look, for instance, with me in verses 3. Do you guys see in verses 3 it says, give us, okay? Us is what? First person, plural, right? That is, so therefore, did you see this prayer? It's already assuming, if you're saying, give us, you're joining with other people praying. You're praying with other people. When you're asking God to give things to you, you're praying, hey, God, give us also as well to the rest of uh, uh, of other people you're praying with, okay? Uh, notice in verses 3, it says what? Our daily bread, okay? Our daily bread, okay? You're not just only praying for your own personal need, okay? But we're also praying for the daily bread of others, okay? I mean, just think about this for a moment, you know, with this whole coronavirus thing, right? Um, I think there's a... You know, it's interesting. Um, I actually think there's a biblical realm of shame, you know? Uh, but when I believe that, it's not because I'm Asian. It's not because my skin is Chinese and yellow, okay? I'm a yellow fellow, and therefore I believe in shame. I think uh, society often twists a wrong view of shame. But the other side is also people could be totally shameless. Like, anything you do wrong, oh, it's no, no thing for shame, okay? Um, and I think the irony in our day and age is like our society, when you see a lot of talk show, right? Always say, hey, let's get rid of shame, right? Shame is always a bad thing. Shame is always a bad thing. But at the same time, you look at social media. People love to shame others, true or not. Okay, actually, if you tell, if, if you think, I think if you think about it today, in our Western society, as much as we say we've gotten rid of this old emotion called shame, it's like medieval ages, our society is even more cruel than even some of the shame-based society in the ancient Near East. What I mean by that is that you could even see, like, for instance, someone say the wrong thing in social media. What happened? People blast them until they lose their job, right? Until they finally remove themselves on Facebook and that kind of thing, okay? But nevertheless, I see, when you see here, we, we kind of shame those right now, right? In the day and age of coronavirus and stuff like that, where people buy, hoard off all these things, true or not. When they buy all the sanitizing uh, thing and no one else could buy it, right? When people just go and buy all the toilet paper and there's no room for others, okay? Um, even just right now, I went to, uh, for dinner, I got some Italian sandwich. 
and they're slowly this nice little place in Pasadena um, they make this Italian sandwich you know I'm trying to feed a family of five right so I got you know and they were like running out and then I was like the, the next one in line and I was like oh could I grab four because I didn't want to look like what Corona day age hoarder right? so I was just I have a family of five you know I'm just getting four okay I bring this to say that we shame we, we realize we shouldn't be just selfish so notice when we pray we're not just only praying for our uh, for my daily bread Verses 4 says what? Uh, our daily bread. Okay, do you see the public corporate dimension of what we pray for, of who we pray for, and also that we join prayer with others, okay? Look with me also as well in verses 4. It says, for we ourselves, we is what? Singular or plural? Singular, right? Ourself, okay? So it's even when you're reflexive with the self part, it's still corporate. Uh, others, right? Where it says ourselves. You're including yourself with others, okay? Look with me also as well in verses 5. Um, do you see that phrase in verse, I mean, correction, verses 4 still? Um, it says, who is in debt to us? Do you still see there's a public dimension of prayer, right? And then the next part is praying about avoiding temptation. We'll cover that next week. But notice it says what? It doesn't say, lead me not to temptation. But what does it say? Lead, fill in the blank. What does it say? Lead us not into temptation okay so i think there's a part where we see this um you should pray with others okay i think it is biblical uh i think sometimes we need this reminder that because especially we live in a very individualistic age okay uh we live in a day and age where um we could get so many things instant okay i'm, I'm so thankful to god we have internet i'm so glad we have zoom uh but if you can when we get back to normal, you know, even with church on Sundays or midweek fellowship, if you can, you know, if you can, I understand, right? Um, but join us if possible, when physically possible, um, to be joining in prayer and fellowship together. Because there is, God has called us to um, be involved in the corporate part of life, including corporate prayer, okay? Um so, yeah, so we need to pray uh, with that, okay? So let's go to application questions, okay? Uh, application questions. So this is a question to ask yourself, okay? Um, when you are going through a tough time, do you pray with others, okay? Sometimes when we're going through tough times, I realize sometimes when we go through tough times, uh, it can be kind of hard to maybe talk to others. Uh, everyone's wired differently. Some, as soon as they're a tough time, you go and what? You want to share your burden, but also realize some people's constitution, they're not wired that way. When you're going to tough time, you just want to be alone. But still, even if you want to be alone, I think it's always good to ask, hey, could you pray for me? And could you pray for me right now? Okay. Um, try not to be cynical when you say, hey, could you pray for me? Um, sometimes, yeah, I ask, but I'm sure he doesn't. You could also say, hey, could you just call right now? And we just pray together. Okay. Could you just publicly pray for me? Right now, okay. Um, second question: When you are going through good times, do you pray with others in praise to God? Okay, um, even when you're not going through a time of struggling, I think it's still good to pray. And you'll be so surprised when you go around asking people, "What can I pray for you?" Okay, you'd be so surprised how many, um, how much prayers is needed in the life of in people's life. Okay. I know sometimes in, when we have prayer meeting, like things like this, when there's so many of us, right? When you look at the video on Zoom, you see Phil there, you see Victor there, you see 
um, you know, Mrs. Burton, and some of you guys don't, uh, you know, not necessarily every day, every week in Almani, right? We're thankful for Leanne and, and Christopher for that, right? Um, but it, it's kind of hard to pray. But at the same time, we go individual. When we go to individuals, wow, they often share even more prayer requests, okay? So pray with others, even when things are going well. There's probably an opportunity God's calling you to even take that time to pray, okay? Because listen, all of us are going through some trial. You're either leaving a trial and praising God, or you're going to be just about to go into a trial, or you're in the midst of a trial, okay? So in the midst of all that, we should pray with others, okay? Pray with others, um, and don't miss that, okay? Practical ways, this is more practical suggestion, Um so I think uh, what we've been doing now, um, I think, uh, you know, for the last few years, I've been encouraging every time we do Bible study is to write down prayer requests, right? Uh, we do, what, prayer meeting, every meetings that we've been doing with our church. Uh, I don't think that was always our, our way of our church. Um, it was led by the conviction that I felt was like, um, man, if Jesus Christ could even say the temple is a house of prayer, if Jesus Christ see importance of prayer that much, how much more so that every time we meet with one another, yeah, we should talk to one another. But if we don't talk to God, we're also missing a very important person that's there that we're not talking to, okay? So in sending all those prayers out, whether couples meeting, right, or whether Bible study um, with, you know, Tuesday or Thursday night or with a youth group or with Sunday, right, those are opportunities we could pray for others, okay? Those are opportunities to pray privately, okay? But also as well, if you struggle with prayer sometimes, like, hey, it's also important to say, hey, you know what? Um, I know this person's phone number. I know this person's prayer request I saw, but I could definitely call and pray for them, okay? I could pray. And sometimes when you read the email prayer request, you might not be sure, but that's also a good time to say, hey, you know what to call. You know, one of the things I'm actually so encouraged is I actually think the Chinese side, uh, This okay, this is uh, my biased opinion. Um, this is my biased opinion, okay? I actually think our English side is maybe a little bit more biblically solid than the Chinese side, generally speaking. Generally speaking, not, not every individual, okay? But if there's one thing I think we can learn from the Chinese side in our, uh, as we as an English congregation in our Chinese church, is the Chinese side, I think there's a lot of people that genuinely are people that pray, okay? You know one of the things I'm encouraged every week is Pastor Ling, not every week, but every other week or so, he'll follow up with me and say, hey, I saw the prayer requests of this individual. Can we help him out X, Y, or Z? Can is she okay? Is are they okay? So that tells me that what? That Mrs. Ling and Pastor Ling, they're both praying, okay? That they're definitely aware that they didn't just say, Oh, click delete, oh there's another email that I don't need. Let's put in the spam box, let's put Jimmy in the spam box, right? Let's put whatever, okay? But rather this opportunity we could pray, okay? Pray individually for them, okay? Uh I actually feel that because of the coronavirus, I'm actually not meeting with you guys as much. But I'm also walking a lot more, praying, okay? Not just walking and reading, okay? But also walking and there's times it's like, you know what? It's already 10 p.m. I still need to finish my step. I'm just going to go walk and just pray, okay? Rather than just walking on safe and I'm going to run into some coyotes and be some lunch meat for some wild dogs. Let's just, I'm just going to go over there, right? And just pray, okay? Just pray for uh, people uh, with that, okay? Uh, I see someone wrote down the note. It's a good comment, right? It's sweet to know that the links, right, are praying for us, okay? Um, if there's one thing, man, you know, um, I'm going to just say this. Pastor Ling is one of those pastors I, we're so thankful. If you're going to be in a hospital and you're dying, Pastor Ling will always be there. True story, okay? 
but that's another sermon another time. Or, or if you're very sick too, okay? Or if you're very sick, okay? Um, yeah, whenever I, I, yeah. I text uh, uh, Mrs. Ling, she always pray for me. Yeah, she does, okay? So we need to learn from their example of praying also with others, okay? So use the prayer list, okay? Go through the church roster, okay? Uh, we've just updated the church membership. One of the things I used to do, and we've since updated, is before the church roster used to have uh, five pages of English congregation member, and then one page for the kids. So six days a week, what do I do? Uh, one day, a page. I pray for people, okay? So we, we updated it, but we're going to start doing that. We were going to just start even regularly in, uh, in our prayer meeting to divide it up where each person pray each page, right, into groups of maybe two, and each person paid page. But if you do that, I think that's very powerful. That forces you to pray for others, okay? That forces you, and also if you do that, also as well, others might be doing the same thing. So you're joining them even in spirit, praying for people's prayer requests, okay, uh, with that. Okay, so that's a way of, of praying for others, okay? And also as well, if you don't know the prayer request, when an opportunity to say, hey, call him, say, hey, okay? Um, uh, you know, what can we pray for, you know? Um, sometimes even when I call you guys, right, even logistical things, let's just say I call, right, saying, hey, um, Brother Eric, if you could do this or whatever. I think that's sometimes also a good opportunity, even when you're doing things like that, like you're calling for about worship or details of announcement or telling someone things. I think those are opportunities to never take uh, it for granted. Don't put it to waste, even to make it spiritual. To say, what can I pray for you, okay? Um, and that's something I think uh, we could do regularly that perhaps I also need to apply do more regularly rather than just admin text, right? I was like, hey, Victor, are you have this open or whatever, right? So we need to take those opportunity to publicly and corporately pray with others. And of course, uh, to make my sales pitch, also prayer meeting, okay? After church, okay? Um, I'm so glad that we move our prayer meeting towards the end of Sunday, um, of Sunday service. Because back in the day for what, almost like 20 years, our prayer meeting used to be, what time? You guys remember? used to be always in the morning. At what time, Victor? At 9 a.m., okay? If you guys remember, there used to be 9 a.m. prayer, 9.30 to 10.30 is per, uh, uh, Sunday school. And there's many times in prayer meeting, it's just who's sitting there. Victor, okay? Just Victor there himself, praying for the people and praying for the church, okay? I'm glad we actually made that adjustment, uh, uh, adjustment to in the afternoon, and that actually has more people to pray. Uh, one pastor once told me when I was a young kid in high school was saying you often see because uh, when I was in high school I was leading a Christian club that my desire to be a pastor began when I was 15 got saved became a Christian trying to preach Jesus to everyone in the Christian club I started going to because my parents were so strict after being not strict with me not allowing me to go to church then I started like going to a Christian club and I started preaching regularly and I would have prayer meeting and, and early in the morning at 7 a.m. at the pole. And, you know, the Christian club was 60 people. And every week, I was immature then. Every week when there's 30 people there, I'll get so mad, okay? And then there was a substitute teacher that was in my math class who was also a full-time pastor uh, or a part-time pastor, part-time substitute teacher. Was he, You know, I found out I was Christian. I said, hey, wow, there's 30 people in your prayer uh, meeting. And I was like, yeah, well, the rest of the people are so unspiritual. And the person's like, whoa, you know what? If half shows up, that's incredible. Churches don't even have half the church comes up for prayer meeting. And of course, back then I didn't go to church. My parents didn't let. And I was a young Christian. I was like, wow, that's crazy. And the guy told me something I thought was very profound, right? People sometimes go on Sunday for what? For the programs. Sunday service, they go by the program, 
the population of who's there, right? Sunday evening service, they usually go there for the preacher, right? For instance, one time, sometimes people could go to their local church, it's closer to the community. They have kids program for their kids. Then Sunday is, oh, I want to go to a good preacher. Let's go to evening service there. But then prayer meeting is a time when people usually go for what? Not for any charismatic personality, not for the preaching, teaching, or programs, but for what? Just to commune with God, okay? So make it a habit to go to prayer meeting, okay? So you can exercise the uh, ability of praying with others, okay? Praying with others. Then let's go to point number three, okay? Let's go to point number three. You should pray intimately with God. You should pray intimately with God. If you're looking at verses two, um, after he says, when you pray, the next word says father, okay? Father. In the Greek is what they call vocative. That is, it's not just saying there's a father out there, but it's calling out to father himself, right? Just like when you say dada, okay? Or or baba, or, you know, um, you're calling out to God, okay? By the way, um, just like in many languages, there might be a formal word for father, right? But there's also a term of affection for father, okay? What are some examples of affectionate terms for fathers that people use in different cultures? You guys could unmute and say some. What are some affectionate terms people use other than father or male guardian or something like that, right? Besides legal proper definition, what are some affectionate terms people use to address their fathers? Papa. Papa, okay, papa, okay. Poppy, okay, good, okay. Okay, papa, you know, etc. Okay. By the way, have you noticed in every culture it's very labial. In linguistics, is what we call labial. That is the 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 BP uh, sound, right, and L sound, right. That that the baba, you know, where you're using your tongue a certain way. That's very labial. Okay. Uh, I do. In English, it's uh, dad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in light of that, right, uh, whatever affectionate term, my daughter's what? It's not Chinese nor English. Is what? What do they call me? What do you guys call me, girls? They say dada. Okay. Daughter. So it's not quite daddy, but with that, okay. Now in the yeah. Greek, now in the Greek, okay, um, this term here that we see for father is actually not the formal term, okay, but is actually a term that is of endearment, okay. Um, so here we see that he's addressing, okay. And by the way, you see in other places too, Jesus would call his father what? God the Father, Abba, okay. Um, with Aramaic or Hebrew, okay, which is actually when you look at the whole Old Testament, that term is never used by anyone to address God in that way because it's a very dear and uh, endearing term. But Jesus Christ models that, teaches us, hey, when we pray, we can be close to Him, okay? We can be close to Him. For Jews, it was not until the 10th century AD before they start calling God the Father, Father. Do you guys know that? If you look at all the Jewish rabbis' writing. If you look at all the Jewish writings, okay, uh, of non-Christian Jewish writing, what I mean by that is uh, outside the Old Testament Bible and everything else, um, no one calls God Father until the 10th century. 10th century, for you guys to know, um, to put it in historical context, that's the medieval ages, okay? Medieval ages. During the medieval time, that's when the Jews were finally calling God Father, and I actually think that's actually because of uh, dialogues, debates, and conversation between Jews and Christians. But that's another sermon, another time. Okay, so we see here at the same time there's a moment of truth. The reason why they call uh, some time, uh, I think, is after uh, it was after a long time because of growing Christian influence surrounding them. 
they see uh, Christians saying that too, that they start adopting that too. Okay. Um, I know Jesus taught this, but I, I think there was a lot of resistance to that. Um, I also think sometimes when we base things on works, that is, we have to do good things to go to heaven. A lot of uh, when we do that, when we have that kind of wrong view that we go to heaven by doing good things, we could end up trusting our method, ourselves so much more, that God could kind of be distant, right? We sin so much, and then we're always gauging ourselves that way. So God could appear very distant. Because, you know, if you're trying to work so hard to go to God by your own power, we're not good enough. In fact, it'll be very frustrating. It'll be like taking one step forward, but three steps back, you know, going up like a sandy mountain, always going down. So I think that's probably uh, another reason why, okay? I mean, it's debatable. Um, with that, but I think going back on with that is we see um, that yeah, Jesus addressed God favorably, and notice by the way he teaches this the disciples prayer. He's telling this is we should pray too. We should call him Father, okay? Um, but then we also see this truth, and we cannot uh, unvarnish or somehow uh, clean it up um, because it is true. Jesus also teaches us that what not everyone's spiritual father. Is God okay? Turn with me real quick to John eight fifty eight, okay. Uh, John eight fifty eight. This is the teaching of Jesus in the Gospel of John, okay. Uh, John chapter eight verses fifty eight. In the context, there were some of the religious leaders that you know, of course, they're caught up in trying to say that the way we go to heaven is by doing good things to go there, okay. Josh, you unmuted. You look like you want to read. Go ahead, read John eight fifty eight. Okay, uh, whoops. Um, uh, John, actually it's not John 8, John 5. Should be John. Is it John 558? Might be 844. Yeah, 844, I'm so sorry. John 844, yeah. Um, Josh, you can go ahead and read that. Christ's teaching, okay? By the way, the context of this, these religious leaders are trying to say, hey, we're not saved by grace. Jesus Christ is not the Savior. He is not God. Um, you can't even help someone on the Sabbath day if they need help. You know, Jesus shouldn't be able to heal people. Um, you, There's no forgiveness of them. Jesus is saying, you know what? You are not, your spiritual father is not God. You think so, but it is not, okay? So everyone has some kind of spiritual or non-spiritual father, okay? How do you know who's your spiritual father? How do you know if it's God? Okay, you don't need to go to a talk show, okay, where they, you know, submit the test and say, you're, you know, the lie detector reveals that, whatever, okay? So no drama with that. Is the paternity test is what, as it says in verses 44, is what do you love, okay? What do you love? Do you love the truth that comes from God? Do you love the truth from the Word of God? Or do you love, what does it say here? Uh, you don't love the truth, you, uh, you love lying, uh, and you love going by the desires of the uh, of Satan and all the selfishness and all of that. Okay, so in all that to say, that Scripture does say 
that not all of us automatically, okay, are a child of God in that relational way. Yeah, God has made every one of us, okay? That is true. Um, but still, in light of this, um, we hit this dilemma because we do need to know um, that we are not automatically children of God, which then leads to this question, then how could we be made right with God? I think is through who? Jesus Christ, okay? Who came and He died for us. And if you remember even a few weeks ago when we went over Ephesians, or a few months ago now, when we went over Ephesians, you guys remember the whole deep study of adoption where we saw the work of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit adopting us? That should make it precious, knowing that who... This reveals why do we need adoption, okay? Why does God love us so much? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three members of the Trinity have to work and operate to save us, okay? So this leads to some application, questions to ask yourself. What are your deepest concern, heartaches, sin, and desire, right? Um, do you take them to God, right? Uh, God could handle, you know, the, uh, we could pray to God of all those things that we are going through and struggling through, Okay? God hears us, and He wants to be there for us, okay? It's different than any human being. Any human being, you go long enough for your problem, you realize, oh, everyone has their limit, right? But in the same way, the person we could always go through is, what, God the Father, okay? Um, pray to Him as though He's your Father, because He is your Father, okay? Um, pray to Him after the message, even over, after over, to pray to Him, right? And sometimes I know, in humanly speaking, even... In our broken world, sometimes people don't really have good fathers in their life, okay? I could use this example because he's pretty open about this. Some of you guys know some of our former member, Oscar. He's very open about this. He always says all the time, uh, okay? Like, yeah, there's no father in his life. There's no father in his life, you know? And I know in this, you know, even in this meeting, there's some with really bad fathers in their life. Things that is unimaginable for me as a human being that's just... You know, the recipient of a good father, right? Um, and also as well with uh, being a Christian, trying to be a good father. Some of the things, the stories, you know, I know in this, you know, in this meeting, is just so incredible what goes on that it's almost like, man. But you know who's our father? Just like our Oscar, old member would used to say, right? In our couples meeting. Our say, you know what? Even without a father in my life, a father who's abandoned me, abused me and all of that, I have God as my father. Right, And that's one of the reasons why I believe in the gospel. And that's not his only reason, but that's one of it. It's just the incredible grace that we could go to God intimately and call Him Father. Right, Don't take that for granted, okay? Pray to Him, right? And also remember, in light of all our sin, why we, the only reason we could be intimate with Him is through Jesus Christ, who washed us by the blood of Christ and drawn to Himself, okay? Uh, amen.